I'm going to speak on the topic of empowerment this morning. Um, I'm going to read with you um, in Luke 15, and we're going to look at the parable that Jesus told of the prodigal son. Um, there's a feast in here, and we're just going to pick like the best bits of meat off the bones right now. We're going to discard all the sinew and the other stuff, and we're just going to take from some of the best because we don't have time to um, dig everything out of that. But this is an incredible parable that Jesus told that reveals um, some incredible insights about God as our Father. And so we want to pull out of there what we can. All right, so let's read, if you can, uh, if we can have the, the passages um, from Luke 15 put up on the overhead here. If you can follow me. So we're going to read two passages. I'm going to kind of fill in some of the gaps here so we don't have to wade through a whole bunch of verses. Maybe could we get the lights up a little bit higher if that's possible? I feel like I'm in a movie theater, which I, that's a really good feeling, but I feel like I want to be quiet and just listen. That's the, that's the downside. Okay, so we're going to jump in here and read. This is a parable that Jesus told that represents, he's telling us what God is like. And here is what he said. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. Didn't, he didn't waste much time. He had all his money, all his belongings. And then he journeyed to a far country. Wanted to get away as far as he could and do what he wanted to do. And there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Prodigal, strange word, only used once actually in the whole of the New Testament. Other translations translate it riotous, which I think is pretty funny. We don't really use that word much more. But it means that he lived with excess. He lived extravagantly, without any restraint whatsoever. Just completely abandoned in what he wanted to do. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. The young man that started thinking he had everything, now had nothing, and was in want. Um, I'm going to, we're, we're jumping here, so let me just fill in the gaps. So what he did, um, he went and joined himself with a citizen in the country that he, he was in. That word joined, it actually, the root word of that um, is actually used uh, as the word glue. And so often, when we find ourselves in a place that we don't want to be in, we then get joined, we glue ourselves to somebody else because we think that this person will help keep us safe and help get us back into the situation that we want to be in. It was not the case. So this poor young man um, ended up being stuck, and we remember that he ended up feeding pigs, and he longed to eat the food that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And there he was, from a palace, if you will, now to a pigsty, wallowing around in everything that pigs wallow around in. No further comment. All right. So he said, he thought to himself, um, I'm crazy. I need to go back to my father. Best thought he ever had. 
he felt, he felt that he was not worthy even to be his son. So he headed back to meet his father. So we, re- we pick it up here. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And he ran and fell on his son's neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and put sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And they began to be merry. Remember the rest of the story. The older brother took issue with this, struggled to welcome the prodigal son back. But then the father went out even to the older brother and drew him back in and spoke to him about his place in inheritance. God is releasing sons and daughters into their inheritance. At the core of this parable is a parable about the difference between a corp- between the corporate mentality and the kingdom mentality. We don't serve a corporation, but we serve a king. And a king has an inheritance for his sons and daughters. And we're going to dig into that here. We're going to look at the corporate versus the kingdom. All right, has anyone here worked for a corporation before? Anyone worked for a corporation? Okay, a whole bunch of people. Um, Now, let me ask you this. Has anyone here worked for a king? No one? Anybody worked for a legit king? A legit king. There's not too many of them out there, but they are out there. No. No one has. So listen, we have to recognize the lens that we're looking at things through. Because in my vocation, I have no um, reference point for working on earth for a king. But I do know what it's like to work for a corporation. But we don't relate to a corporate head in the kingdom of God. We relate to a king. And we must understand the lens that we're looking through. So let me tell you a little bit about the corporate way of doing things. So I, um, I first, when I was uh, 19 years old, I wanted to go and work for a certain company. I loved cars, and I wanted to work in the car industry. And I've told some of the stories about this particular individual and before, but I had an opportunity to work for a man called Julian Scaramanga, who owned a business, Julian Scaramanga Specialist Cars. So what I wanted to do is buy and sell exotic cars. That was, that was what I wanted to do. That was my dream. But here I was, a 19-year-old kid, and I had to find a way to get to fulfilling my dream. And so what I did is what many people in that situation do, and I got an apprenticeship. I was the apprentice. And so some people, now presidents, um, have, have, have made much money off the concept of having apprentices. So I became an apprentice for Julian Scaramanga Specialist Cars. And now the life of an apprentice, the life in the corporate world, is not like the life of a prince or a princess who's in a kingdom. 
My apprenticeship started like this. I got on a pair of overalls. Overalls. Oh, yeah, yeah, you don't call it that. What do you call it? Oh, you can't picture me in overalls. All right, whatever. Yeah, they were, they were, they were too large as well. So I was wearing like this. Yeah, um, but they weren't overalls. That's, that's like... Um, the, the dad on the Dukes of Hazard wore, isn't it? He wore overalls. Okay, it wasn't like coveralls. Thank you, coveralls. That's what I was wearing. And then I had to do the most boring, tedious, back-breaking, menial tasks. So my boss was an incredible miser. My job was to like polish and buff and wax these amazing cars. And instead of investing 20 pounds on like a powered orbital buffer, he just gave me um, what we call T-cut, which is a buffing compound, and then a rag, and I just had to use what little of this muscle there was <laughs> to get this orbital action for eight hours of the day. And then I was out there in our English winters hosing down these cars with just a, a long brush and water. Now check this out. He believed, don't ask me why, he believed that you shouldn't use detergent to wash the cars. So I was having to clean these cars when they first came in as trade-ins to us with just a bucket of water, no soap, and a brush. It was like making bricks without straw. And so there I was getting soaked all day long. My, literally soaked through to my skin. And so in this apprenticeship, in my first two weeks, my feet were like sopping wet. I was wearing like leather boots for two straight weeks, so much so that I got an infection in my foot from it being wet the whole time. I think there's a name for this. They got it in the Second World War. It was like trench foot or something. Um, no, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. I got, tre I got trench foot where I got an infection in my foot from it being wet for two straight weeks. And then I, I woke up one morning like in excruciating pain, and when I went to, stead, to step on my foot, I realized I couldn't walk. So I actually had to get crutches and take time off work until my foot healed. Because you know what? That is the life of the apprentice in the corporate world. The way for me to get to where I wanted to get was to start at the bottom, to have the smallest amount of responsibility, to be given borders to everything I do, and to work my way up to prove myself bit by bit in the hope that eventually I may get to that which my dream was. That is the corporate way of doing things. Who is glad that in the kingdom of God is not a corporation. Amen? Because often we look at life in the kingdom through our lens of life in the corporate world because that is our experience. But the corporate world is no parallel to the kingdom world. And we're going to look at exactly why because we have to grasp this so that we can live as sons of the king. I'm going to take you back to the first passage that we, uh, that we read here in the account of the prodigal son in Luke 15. Let's go back if we can have that up on the board, please, David, where it begins with, then he said. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a portion of the goods that falls to me. Okay, let's talk about how crazy this is. Two sons, this is the youngest son. 
neither of them are ready to receive their inheritance yet. The older son hasn't got it, certainly not the younger son. In this culture, the older son was more highly favored. He, in fact, would have received two-thirds of the inheritance, and the younger son would have received one-third. But certainly never would the younger have son received the, the inheritance before the older son. Neither of them are ready for this experience. He screwed it all up. The younger son goes to the father and says, hey, will you give me the portion of goods that falls to me? Next verse. What happens next? So he divided them his livelihood. What? (laughs) He did what? He divided up to them his livelihood. That is his living. That is, the, that is the source of sustenance and providence for him and his family. He divided it. Did he say no? Did he add strings attached to this? Did he put boundaries or borders on what he may do with the inheritance? Did he tell him where to go with it, where he couldn't go? Did he put any parameters on giving this son the inheritance that would ultimately do him because he was a son. He did none of those things, but he released to him his inheritance without control and without constriction. Why? Let's go and look at the very first time that a king release someone to his kingdom and see why this happened. We're going to go back to the first chapter of the whole Bible in Genesis 1. Because we've got to go back to the beginning to see why God acts this way throughout the passage of history. So if we can put that up here, Genesis 1 and verse 26, we're going to read that together. Um, and this will give us an insight on what the heart of the Father is. Genesis 1 We know this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So amazing that is. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God Bless them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So let's look at this parallel passage to the one that Jesus spoke about when God created mankind. So here we have God created in six days this incredible universe amazing, such wonder there. Then he creates mankind, he creates man and woman in his own image. Here they are, day one, looking at this majesty, and then they begin their apprenticeship. No? No. There's no apprenticeship for Adam and Eve. There's no proving themselves. There's no earning their place. There's no five-year track to get them to a place. But as God creates them and places us in the environment, right off the bat, he says to them, all of this is yours. 
You're made in my image. You carry my heart. I give it all to you. Go now. And in the power and blessing that I give you, multiply. Rule over this. Be fruitful. Govern and arrange and order and cultivate the whole creation. And I will be with you. The God that we serve is a king in a kingdom. And in a kingdom, a king bestows things. He doesn't give them to be earned. And we are a people that have been placed in a kingdom and upon us is bestowed an authority and a blessing and a grace to serve the king and carry out his bidding. And we have to shift our thinking from that of the corporate world to that of the kingdom world so that we can begin to have king-like thinking. So am I saying that we don't need to work hard? No. Am I saying that responsibility is not required? No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is there is something different about a kingdom mentality than a corporate mentality. Interesting point here before we move on. Um, I referenced The Apprentice, the show that Donald Trump would became more famous for in his entertainment um, career. And um, there's another powerful uh, mogul by the name of Richard Branson. I'm sure you've all heard of him. Very well-respected businessman who had a similar show that was broadcast in the UK where he almost did the opposite of what Donald Trump did. He took ordinary people and he placed them in CEO positions and exposed them to himself, gave them, them access to him. And then in these positions, he placed them there and basically told everyone that these were senior, experienced, highly trained people when they were completely the opposite. And you know what happened to those people? who were given that place of honor and authority and identity, almost without fail, their engagement and success in what they were doing was off the charts. Because that is kingdom, true kingdom thinking, and not small-minded, selfishly motivated, corporate thinking. Now, those people that study the corporate world, and I've had a lot of conversations with Hannah about this, will tell you that things that work really well in the corporate world work because they are kingdom principles. And so for us, we got to live in a kingdom mindset, a godly kingdom mindset, not the corporate mindset. All right. So this is the inheritance that we have. So let's look at how we enter into this, and then we're going to Go ahead and pray here. Some things can hold us back from having the mindset of a king. Let's go ahead and uh, read again the passage, the second passage that it gives the account of when the son returned to his father. So if we can put that up here, which begins with, and he arose and came to his father. 
And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for my son who was dead is alive again. He was lost and he is found. The son, when he returned from his failure and his mistake, he said to himself, I am no longer worthy to be a son, but I can be a slave. And on that motivation, he returned to the father with the intention of being a slave. Many of us, who have set out to do something and experience what we feel is failure, feel we're no longer worthy to be sons, but I feel like I am worthy to live my life as a slave. And God would say to us, you are always a son. And when the prodigal son returned to the father, he got the welcome that he never expected, and many people have preached on this numerous times, and I'm, uh, we don't have time to go into the details of how remarkable it was that the son, uh, sorry, that the father ran out to his son. Number one, for what the son did in this culture, he was worthy to be stoned. He should by law have been stoned, but instead of coming home for a stoning, his father girded up his loins, ran out when it was a disgrace to show your legs, the lower legs in public, which it still is for many of us. I just want to make that clear. Um, he girded up his loins and he ran out. He ran to see him. So picture this in the village, in the community that he lived. Everyone knew this man's son had gone. They knew he was a disgrace. They knew that if he returned, he should be stoned. The villagers would have probably been the first ones to go out and accost him and stone him. This was the son of disgrace. But then they see the father. Somebody looks out the window and there's this old man just running. My son, my son. They're like, what the heck is going on? People start talking. Why is he running? Where's he going? He's calling to his son. Has the son returned? And out he goes to greet his son, welcomes him back, grabs him and hugs him. And as a son with a head hung low says to him, listen, I'm no longer your son, but I will be your slave. He says, no, you're always my son. Come, bring him back. We're going to feast. I'm going to let everybody know. All the naysayers, all the people that wanted to stone you, they're all invited to the celebration when I am going to celebrate you again for being my son, which you always have been and always will be. And they placed a robe on him, which is significant of identity, that that which he was, he still is. They placed a ring on his finger, which is very significant. We read about this. Um, Joseph got a ring put on his finger. Um, Haman got a ring put on his finger too, symbolizing the, all the authority of the one that gave you the ring was now yours. 
And then finally, he put sandals on his feet because slaves didn't have sandals. They always had bare feet. And before they could put sandals on his feet, they had to clean off the muck and the mire, wash and cleanse. Cleanse him from where he had been and what he had been doing to take away all the remembrance, all the dirt and the stench of where he had been and cleanse him completely so that he could be restored as a son. His identity was given back, all his authority was confirmed, and he was cleansed and restored as a son. And God has a family of sons and daughters whose identity is secure, whose authority is secure, and whose restoration is confirmed. And I feel today that God wants to instill in us that He is a king with a kingdom, that He rules with His sons and His daughters without restriction, without restraint. This is no apprenticeship, but this is a kingdom of empowerment and commission. And all the rights and authority have been given to us to do the amazing things that God has called us to. I loved it when Barb shared earlier what she's doing. And that's an example of somebody doing amazing things that they're called to do, empowered by our wonderful Heavenly Father. What Barb didn't tell you that she's also doing is she is um, equipping the church in Morris in their Sozo ministry. She's connecting with the church in St. Louis with Sozo ministry to train and equip and empower the, all the churches that we have in this country in the skill and the passion that she has for what God has commissioned her to do. And I want us, if you would, just to stand with me now, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for two things. I'm going to pray that I'm going to pray for the commissioning and the revelation of our sonship to become a reality to all of us who are here. I'm going to pray that God would bring a clarity for those things that he's called us to do, that he's given us authority over, that he's sharing with us to do his bidding in the kingdom. And then I'm also going to pray for those people who feel that their history may have changed God's heart. Because the word to you today is that your history does not change God's heart towards you what he called you to, what he commissioned you for, is not changed by what you have done. Because his heart and his commission remains the same for you. And he's going to bring restoration of identity, restoration of authority, and a cleansing this morning to those people who believe that they are only worthy as slaves. Because that is not your inheritance. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the amazing, empowering Father that you are. I thank you, Lord, that you've not called us to a bitter, tedious apprenticeship, but you've called us to be princes and princesses that rule with you.
that receive your grace and your empowerment, that are wise, that are responsible, that are faithful, that are called to represent you, that carry your heart and can exemplify what your kingdom is like. And I ask, Father, for every person here that you would make real to them the part that they are to play, that you've released them and you've empowered them to serve brilliantly in. Father, release that so it can be something that we can respond to. And Lord, I pray for every person that may feel like they're no longer a son, but they're a slave. That they may look back and think on what they've done and how it went so terribly wrong. That it was squandered, that it was wasted. But the Lord says to you, nothing is wasted in me. For I work all things together for the good, for those that love me and are called according to my purpose. Nothing is wasted. And I am the God of restoration. And I will restore to you your identity. I will restore your authority. And I will cleanse you from the muck and the mire of that when it went wrong. Today, I am restoring you. And I am cleansing you. And I'm putting my arms around you and I'm drawing you back into my house to join me as the beloved son and the beloved daughter. You will never be a slave and you never were. And so, Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us, that grace and power would fall upon us, that you would fill us afresh, fill us again, Lord, with that very breath of life that you breathed into Adam that empowered him to rule and reign with you. Fill us, Holy Spirit, afresh this morning. Thank you, God. Thank you. Amen.